This is The Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. The Canadian Investor Podcast. Welcome into the show. My name is Braden Dennis. As always, joined by the affable Mr. Simon Belanger. We have a great Monday release for you guys today on the show. We're going to talk about some luxury stocks and Ferrari. You're going to talk about the new CBDC, Central Bank Digital Currency, public consultation from the Bank of Canada. And I'm going to talk about the, compra- the Compounder Bro watch list. So 20 names that large, large funds, large 13F filers, all tend to like and own. And then you're going to round out today's show. We're talking about gold. Um, quick thing. Did you know that the McLaren F1, not like their F1 team, yeah. like the mm-hmm. car, the McLaren F1, sold for over 20 million USD in Oh, I didn't know. Yeah, that's crazy. One car. I mean, if there's one thing about the excess of capitalism, that's that's it right there, yeah. Like, is that really necessary? Or like, you know, those $30 million homes and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, imagine buying a car for 20.5 million. And that was 2021. That was the last sale of a McLaren F1. So... You know, these things just keep going up because yeah. they're so scarce. So would it be ridiculous to say that, you know, it's worth more than 30 million USD for a sale today? Because there's, there's, there's only mark to mark like every mm-hmm. few years when one sells. Yeah, I mean, cars can be good <laughs> investments crazy. if they're very rare and, you know, no longer made. And oftentimes, uh, you know, it could be the first... You know, the first year producing a certain type of car as well. So, I mean, they're not always bad investments, but I would say probably 99% of the time it is. And that 1% where it's more, probably even less, 0.25% or something like that. Are you saying my beautiful red hot Nissan Rogue won't be worth $20 million one day? Wow. If we have, we have to run supply chain issues for, <laughs> for years to come, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, catch catch my uh, my Nissan Rogue on Auto Trader for twenty one million next year. Speaking of expensive cars and luxury stocks, Ferrari. Now Ferrari IPO'd in twenty fifteen as a spinoff of the Fiat Chrysler Empire, and it is in a bucket of truly luxury. In terms of brands, right? Very exclusive. You can only buy the newest Ferrari if you already have a Ferrari as well. From a price point and from a inventory perspective, you know, every Ferrari is spoken for before it is made. And that puts it in an elite category of luxury. You know, you have like Hermes, Rolex. Ferrari, McLaren. Um, it, it's actually it's actually a step above the LVMH brands in terms of like extreme luxury. And Ferrari definitely fits the bill. It is publicly traded under ticker race, which is amazing, by the way, uh, for a stock ticker. It says ticker race for Ferrari NV. And 
if you look at the fundamentals, they're shipping more and more cars every year. Uh, in December tw- uh, 13, they, they shipped 7,000 cars. They shipped 13,500 uh, uh, cars in the last trailing 12 months. The 2022 number finished at 13.2,000 Ferraris shipped out. Every single one is sold before they make it for egregious amounts of money. And the stock has compounded since I, since the spinoff at over 25% a year. It's up 450% in the last seven and a half years. So, uh, phenomenal performance. The stock is expensive, uh, like most luxury stocks are. And it speaks to just a different category of wealth, right? This has been a theme of the show lately. Yeah. You know, certain. Certain stocks are cyclical, but not at the most extreme levels of wealth, if that is your customer. Uh, have you ever taken a, a dive into Ferrari? No, stock? I haven't. And uh, I've never been in a car, in one of those cars either. So <laughs> I haven't really uh, had the chance to, or I mean, it's never really piqued my interest all that much, but I know it's it's been a pretty good stock overall. Yeah. I actually don't really like Ferraris that much. Um, if I'm being completely honest, of course, they're sexy sports cars. Uh, they're, they're quite cool. The performance is amazing. The, the brand is, is beautiful. I just don't love the look of the cars. And, and this is very subjective. And if you're a Ferrari lover at home, uh, I'm not dissing. Uh, I just don't love them that much. But I have sat in a LaFerrari, the like hybrid one, the super, super car performance one. <laughs> it's like it's a spaceship it's not a car yeah i mean i guess they're comparable to lamborghini right i'm not uh the biggest car person yeah. i know uh lamborghini i think it's owned by volkswagen yeah lamborghini yeah, is kinda. in that same mm-hmm. that same list i don't know i don't I, I i don't know what's more exclusive i think it's ferrari just based on the number that they make um yeah. ferrari's coming out with this suv now as well yeah, you know, they've all come out with this SUV. You know, every luxury brand has, and Ferrari's doing that as well. And they said that they've all already sold every single order. Um, it's just another level of 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 hyper wealth and and luxury. And and Ferrari is a is one to look at in terms of a stock that if if you want to fit that niche bucket uh, in your portfolio. It trades under ticker race on the U.S. Uh, U.S. market, and is it a cheap stock? No, but th- does it deserve to be a cheap stock? Probably no, not. I mean, I personally don't really. I mean, you know, a nice car is nice. That's my view. And if we're looking really just at the car itself, but uh, in terms of you know, I know some people are just passionate about Ferraris and cars in general, and you know that's just their their baby basically but for the most part you know people showing off their wealth because of that i mean i have a lot more respect for someone who drives a very normal car and then you know i'll meet that person and then a couple of years later i i you know i learned somehow that are multi-millionaire and i had no idea that's where i i'm really impressed with someone it's just I find that pretty impressive when you kind of learn. I think, you know, Buffett's a bit like that, right? If someone didn't know who he was, I think he drives a, a really old car and you wouldn't know. <laughs> you wouldn't even. He drives a used right, Cadillac. Exactly. So I kind of like uh, the Warren over there for the way he does things. I love, uh, I love a Porsche and I definitely want one uh, at one point. 
my dad loves his classic Porsches and he he's owned a couple. And so that's obviously rubbed off on me, but they're, they're awesome without having to yeah. spend <laughs> $21 million for a McLaren F1. All right, moving on. So what, what's yeah, going on yeah. here? I have no idea and I'm okay, just excited so- for this. Some of you may have seen on Twitter, it's made the round. I posted about it as well. So the Bank of Canada is doing a public consultation on central bank digital currencies, also known as CBDCs. So they posted last week this announcement. I will put a link uh, for people who are interested in doing the survey. I definitely encourage you um, to do the survey, provide some feedback to the Bank of Canada regarding that. Um, The one thing that I found in the surveys, I was really disappointed about how it was worded because throughout the survey, they only highlight the positives without mentioning any of the risks. So I'm going to try to do a better balance here. I will talk about the positives, but also talk about the negatives and some of the dangers of CBDC that people should be aware of. Before I start with that, so the basics of it. I did talk about it on the podcast maybe a year and a half ago just to explain to people generally what they were. Uh, But a CBDC, basically what the Bank of Canada is proposing is they are consulting about a retail CBDC because there are also wholesale CBDCs, but those are just more used behind the scenes for transactions between... um, the central bank and banks, for example. So not something that, you know, has a whole lot of impact on people. A CBDC, a retail one, uh, well, CBDCs in general, they're issued by central banks and use blockchain technology. If you're not sure what blockchain technology is, it's the same technology that Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are built on. The big difference here is that a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin, for example, has a public blockchain where anyone can see it. You can see any transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain as long, you know, you can also pinpoint who did it if you know who owns whichever address. Whereas a CBDC, which is controlled by the central bank, uses a private blockchain. And that's really important to remember that. I'll touch on it a bit later. That's why, like I said, on a public blockchain, you can view all the transaction, whereas a CBDC like this, only the central bank or government would be able to see the transactions. So the positive, well, actually, do you have any questions there before I get into positives and negatives? Not yet, but that's that's definitely interesting to call out via like public versus private blockchains being, you know, vastly different in in the ESG, if you can call it that. (laughs) Yeah. And And the other thing, too, with something like Bitcoin, and not all cryptocurrencies are decentralized. That's really important to to say it, too, even those that are uh, not necessarily uh, CBDCs. you know, some of them are just not decentralized, but one like Bitcoin is. And that's really important to remember because at the end of the day, the central bank of Canada in this case would actually control what they do and also the money supply associated with that. So the positives here, it could help people who don't have a bank account by allowing the Bank of Canada or a, and another uh, 
another central bank if they do have their own CBDC as well to directly send money to to their citizen. So the only thing that would be required is for the individual to have a smartphone because a lot of people may think, oh, everyone has a bank account in Canada. Well, no, not everyone has a bank account. And this would allow those who don't to be able to be banked in another fashion. Second, it could allow the Canadian government to send targeted payments. For example, they could use a CBDC to send the funds directly to Canadians who are eligible to get the grocery rebate that was just announced in a quick and efficient manner. In this example, they could even program it so that people could only buy food with it. So they could send someone money, but say, you can't spend on anything other than food. Uh, They could even program it to say you can only spend on certain types of food because the CBDC is basically a smart uh, blockchain, so it's programmable, so they can actually do different things with it. Third, it could be used to stimulate the economy or spending in certain sectors of the economy because it will use smart contracts, like I mentioned. An example here is, let's say the economy is struggling and the government wants to stimulate spending near term. They could send money to citizens with an expiration date of two months. If you don't spend the money within the time frame, it expires. And since it could go directly from the central bank to citizen bypassing the middlemen that are banks as we know him, it would it should be much quicker than the current system and be much more cost effective from a fee perspective. Um, I'm sure if they go ahead with this, they would have some kind of hybrid system where, you know, they would still require banks like uh, the big six in Canada to be involved because obviously um, if they bypass them too much at some point uh, it would just impact the bottom line for those banks. I'm sure the, they'll keep that in mind and uh, when they start developing that. Um, any comments here? Can I ask some really dumb questions, some really entry it. level stuff here? Because... I know nothing about this, and uh, I know a lot of people listening also know nothing about this. How does this interact with the CAD? I mean, it would basically have the same value as the Canadian dollar. Yeah, it is the Canadian dollar. So, you know, in the U.S., they have like stable coins like USDC, USDT, and all that. This would basically be a stable coin issued by the central bank. So that's, that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Okay. So it, it 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 is the CAD just delivered yeah, exactly. in this fashion. Yeah, instead of like, you know, okay. it would be a digital form of money, but it would just be a digital form of the Canadian dollar. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm glad <laughs> I'm like the kid in class right now. I was like, I got a burning question that is very fundamental, but lets everyone know I don't know what I'm talking about. And that was one of them. Because I mean... All the discussions that I've heard about CBDCs, I've always thought, are they a separate, like, are they like a new coin? Like, how is that? It seems so counteractive to the, the incentives of a of a central bank who wants, you know, their currency yeah. to be strong. And the whole goal so, is to, okay. um, a, a lot of it, now I wouldn't say the whole goal because I'll talk about some of the downsides here. But um, one of the things that would make it more efficient, if people want to wrap their head around it, is let's say, you know, I go and I buy, you know, everyone knows I wear Lululemon 
So I go and purchase something with my credit card for Lululemon. Well, there's a reason when you go on your bank account, when you've made a purchase, it's impending because then there's the settlement that has to happen between my bank and whichever bank Lululemon deals with. And Exactly. So in the background, that usually takes a couple of days. Um, They'll usually take aggregates of a whole lot of transaction, do all those settlements. And then obviously there's money that needs to be moved from, you know, the bank I deal with to their bank and all the other transactions that would have the same kind of, you know, two banks involved, that's where it's settled in the background. With a CBDC, the settlement should be in theory just uh, instantaneous. Can I ask another big picture question? Why do governments want to do this? Other than, you know, you've outlined (laughs) some, some positives, like what is the, you know, if I'm sitting at a boardroom, if I, if I work for the bank of Canada and, and I have some mandate and I have some incentive structures to, to do X, Y, and Z, what is like kind of the overarching motivation for this? You know, I'll try to think about the good before I go into the negatives. Uh, yeah, like aside from conspiracy <laughs> theories, like what what is like a logical? Yeah, I mean, so motivation. let's just take for example. Yeah. Um, so the Canada Emergency Response Benefit. So people who got impacted by the pandemic, by all these lockdowns, um, you know, it wasn't a very seamless process. It took time. I mean, in the U.S., people were literally receiving stimulus checks, like paper checks. That's how like slow it was. Right. So CBDCs would enable the government to send the money, for example, to citizens directly in a much quicker matter. So if you have an emergency situation like that and you really need to send money quickly to individuals and making sure that you know they're able to make but i get direct deposit with everything from cra it's still today. you know there's still some processing times the length is not extremely quickly because you're still going through the traditional banking system right even if you do a wire it could take a couple days before the wire gets through so definitely there's an efficiency uh, part of it but again for the people that are not banked um, they just need a smartphone, which pretty much everyone has. I mean, I see homeless people sometimes mm. that uh, have a smartphone as well, right? So you do have this yeah. easy way to actually, you know, be able to receive funds from the government, even if, you know, you, for whatever reason, you don't qualify for a, for a bank account. Okay. Yeah. I might have some more burning questions. I, I, I like, I, <laughs> no, no. like I said, this is, this is brand new to me and I'm still trying to digest the, the big picture yeah. why and how and i'm not an expert moment. on this just to be fair but i did uh, quite a bit of research and uh, i'm still learning i find it pretty fascinating um now the downsides are i in my opinion are pretty big and i do hope people make their own opinion obviously that's why i'm trying to do as much of a balanced approach as i can here um so the biggest one is privacy so governments could easily freeze individual accounts reverse transactions and prevent the ability of individuals to spend on certain things they could send the money but prevent you from buying cigarettes alcohol cannabis with it um you know I have no issues personally if the government says, okay, like, you know, 
whatever you want to put a label on something that's fine but at the end of the day personally i think if you're an adult you're able to make your own decisions and who is to decide what you spend your money on right so i think that can be that can be a pretty a slippery slope that i think we have to be careful governments would also have much more financial data on individuals i mean they can still get that data but it would basically be very accurate so they could tie that to individuals um, the survey talks about privacy and guardrails but the ability to for the government to get that data and use it in a perverse way is there i mean i want to thank our elective officials and you know our bureaucrats and all that I want to think they have good intentions, but we've seen time and time again, whether you look at the Patriot Act in the U.S., but even in Canada, we've seen instances where certain laws were passed, certain tools were in place, and the intent was for something specific, but you saw the government using for, you know, spying on its own citizen. And I think it's really dangerous when you have the tools in place because, you know, if you just need a small group of bad actor to start using it in a very kind of perverse way. And I think that's really, really dangerous. However, you know, I'm sure they want to make it as private. That's what they seem to be conveying in that survey. But at the end of the day, the ability to get that yeah, it exactly. the ability not. will still be there. I think that's just a reality. And this could also be a first step for government to target other forms of payment that offer more privacy and restrict uh, even, you know, they said cash. You know, it sounds like they want to keep cash there for a certain amount of time, hopefully, you know, indefinitely or Bitcoin. Uh, but it could be a way for the government to kind of restrict, um, you know, people from using these other forms of payments. The second downside here, it's a centralized system. So there is a single point of failure, which is not the case with Bitcoin, where blockchain information is stored on thousands of nodes. I think the recent data I saw was like close to 50,000 nodes. So, um, you know, there could be half of them, three quarters of them that go offline. As long as there's still one remaining, the ledger information will still be there. And that's not the case with a CBDC. Now, increase, I think there's, I, I'm not saying this as news to anyone, but increased polarization increases the risk of this technology being used against citizens who don't share the same views as the government in power. Um, you know, I don't think necessarily this is an immediate risk, but if you look at China, China is also developing its own version of a CBDC called the Digital Yuan. And, you know, a lot of people think they'll just use that to survey their people even more intensely. And one thing they could do, especially I, I'm, I would not be surprised if China would do this. And I actually fully expect them to do things like that is you can essentially lock out someone of the whole financial system with this if it becomes the only form of payment. So if you have a dissident um, in China who doesn't agree with the CCP, they could, you know, they don't have to lock the person up. They can just block him completely from the financial system and make their lives a living hell, essentially. Dude, my my first thought when I see something like this is you can't <laughs> see it right now, but there's a, a tinfoil hat <laughs> that sits on the top of my head that grows one <laughs> one layer of tinfoil from the kitchen cabinet with every word you say 
And it, it grows taller and taller until I become a hardcore conspiracy theorist with all of this stuff. Um, yeah. <laughs> How can no, you not? I mean, it's, I mean, it's really on. hard to, to not to. I'm just trying to, like I said, I'm trying to do a, as balanced as I can. Um, I mean, the last yeah. risk here is one that we are seeing right now is it could just make inflation worse because fiscal stimulus, um, it's been shown to be one of the leading causes for inflation. Obviously, there were other causes, but it's not just the fact that the money supply was increasing. It's the fact that governments were spending globally, sending money directly to their population, and then people were just spending on goods and services. And obviously, if the demand outweighs the, um, you know, the offer being out there, the supply, then it creates inflation. And having this more efficient method, it could potentially open the floodgate, right? Depending on what government is in power. Uh, but that's something to keep in mind where there's a risk it could just make inflation worse because it just makes it way that much easier for governments to send money to uh, their citizens. Um, so, I mean, in the end, I think personally, I'm not really in favor of that. Um, I just think there's a lot of risk. However, they want to make it private. And however good their intentions are, they may have the best of intentions, but you don't know who's going to be there in 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and it just takes a small group of individuals that um, don't have the best of intentions. The tools are already in place and then it could have some really bad consequences. Do you what? hear that, Simone? Can you hear that? <laughs> That's the sound of one more strand of okay, aluminum okay. foil <laughs> on the top of my tinfoil mm -hmm. hat. Dude, like... <laughs> All, all jokes aside, okay, so today I've been very vocal um, about my disdain for some of the big Canadian banks and how bureaucratic they are, how slow they move, um, and just why do I have to go to a branch to do something that you can click a button on your side? Like, that's the way I think about most of these things. Thank God for EQ Bank. Not as a sponsor, but literally making these guys have to think about innovation. Um, these large public companies are very bureaucratic with the, the financial universe in Canada. If we shift that to government, dude, <laughs> it can't get more bureaucratic I don't want more. I don't want more bureaucracy. It's already. I already have it too high uh, in the way that things are today, and you know it's Thanksgiving dinner here. You know, no religion, no politics. But there's going to be more bureaucracy if you have politicians running this thing. Like it's it's not on my wish list right now. Um, and and I have a lot to still yeah. think about this. I'm just mostly learning about it for the first time, and I'm sure that there's some pros and some cons, but. If you look at incentive structures and the, this being delivered efficiently, if large public companies with incentive structures that they have here today in Canada are very bureaucratic and very slow, you know, politicians are like, ding, 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 ding. I got something to say about it. Mm -hmm. I can make it worse. And, and that's my concern here uh, overall, just more so in just the actual execution and rollout here. I have no, no confidence that it's good, that it's, work, that it's done correctly.
That's my that's my main. Yeah, concern. and I mean, we'll see. I think obviously, I encourage people. It's a public consultation. Whether they actually take the feedback or they already they're just doing it as uh, you know to to show that they did it and they already know what direction they're going. I really don't know. I'm gonna hope that they will actually listen to the feedback. But there's definitely. Uh, there's definitely some risks, I think, uh, that are there. Um, it We'll have to see, but I hope that at least people are able to, you know, get a better balance. You, whether you think it's a positive more than negative, that's fine. You don't have to agree with me. I think there's more negatives personally, or at least I think the negatives outweigh the positives. Uh, but again, I wanted to talk about that because uh, trust me, anyone doing the uh, survey will see that um, they make it seem like there's no negatives. And unfortunately, that's just not not true. Let's switch to the compounder bro checklist. <laughs> Sorry, should I say watch list? Um, now, 13F filings have just come out uh, for uh, most large uh, asset managers. So for those who are unfamiliar, I need a quick refresher on 13F. Yeah, the 13F is uh, the, by defi- definition here from good old Investopedia, the Securities and Exchange Commissions, aka SEC, Form 13F is a quarterly report that is required to be file- filed by all institutional investment managers with at least 100 million in assets under management. It discloses all their equity portfolio, uh, also all equity holdings, and can provide insights into what smart money is doing. Um, now that's a quick refresher. If you've, if you're new to the show on 13 F's and, and if you're new to the show, welcome to the biggest investing podcast in Canada. You heard it right now. Large money managers over a hundred million in assets must report their equity holdings every quarter, but note, this is just capturing us securities. So if I'm, if it's, if it's me and I own over a hundred million us stocks and I disclose my, my, my equity holdings each quarter, it won't capture Constellation software. It's not dual listed and it's purely listed on a Canadian exchange. Um, if it is dual listed, it will be included. So Brookfield would be included. So there's some slight nuance here. Uh, if you're in the US and just investing in US stocks, yeah, we probably don't care. Uh, but uh, for here in Canada, that's something to consider. Now, shout out to Green Chip Capital on Twitter, who assembles this list every quarter. And he's come up with a list of high quality compounder type investors. Uh, some of those names come to mind are Acri Capital, um, TCI Fund Management, which is not to be confused with the Canadian Investor Podcast, but it's actually the Children Investment Fund uh, out of the UK done by Chris Hone. It's a gigantic uh, fun. They're the actually the uh, they were the activists in the the CN Rail thing oh, yeah. too. Okay, uh, large, very, very, very large shareholders. Uh, other names in here: Markel Fundsmith by Terry Smith, Giverny uh, by Francois Rachon, who's from Quebec. So, some of the Mount Rushmores of of quality compounder investors. So that's why I'm calling it the compounder bro checklist here or watch list. These are the 20 names in order from the least overlap to the most overlap. Of those 13F filers sampled, 
these names have at least four whole uh four funds that hold the stock. So I'll go from least widely held to most widely held. And the most widely held stock, uh, which I'm going to get to, is owned by 18 of the 20 funds surveyed, which is pretty remarkable. So you, you have to keep listening to find out what that one is. All right. First up, we have Intuit. So that is the owner of you know, QuickBooks, TurboTax, MailChimp, those names. Um, S&P Global, ticker SPGI. Taiwan Semiconductor, ticker TSM. United Health, ticker UNH. Salesforce, ticker CRM. Netflix, Transdime, ticker TDG. Thermo Fisher, ticker TMO. Charter, which is the, uh, the cable company that's ticker CHTR. Next, we have Adobe, Berkshire Hathaway, Meta, aka Facebook, Nike, Schwab, which is interesting. We'll see how this one changes because I know a lot of people are running for the exit on Schwab and Ally uh, for, for very obvious reasons. Now we have extreme overlap in some of these names. Moody's, MasterCard, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, and sitting alone at the most widely held compounder bro stock, Visa, ticker V. That's a pretty good basket of names. Some, some certainly things to think about, but I mean, as a, as a basket, as a bucket, yes, it's a lot of mega large cap names, but it's a lot of high quality here. Yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to add there. I mean, it's just a lot of the companies that people know. Uh, not surprising, right? Uh, some a few head scratchers on there. But uh, yeah, especially almost like a Berkshire, I do wonder, right? They're supposed to be, you know, professional managers for the most part. And then they're buying a stake in someone else who's on, like, consi- I, I would consider, you know, Buff Buffett a professional manager as well. And that's always interesting to see Berkshire that, that high up. I mean, I think it's a fine company to own. And I have a lot of respect for Buffett and Munger. And I think it's, is it Todd? Yeah. You're, you're saying you're like, it's, it's kind of like yeah, hiring exactly. a manager. It's just, yeah, I just find it. Yeah, exactly. A manager That's hiring it. a manager. I, 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 I get the sentiment. I, I agree with the sentiment. But if you look at all of the privately held businesses inside of Berkshire, it's, you know, yeah. BNSF, Geico, the insurance businesses, their, you know, their, their stakes mm. in all those public equity positions that are gigantic and take a long time to accumulate. Um, yeah, it's definitely more financials and energy. I think, yeah, that sums up most of the Berkshire portfolio. Berkshire yeah, exactly. Energy. Berkshire Energy is now one of the largest uh, uh, generators of, of wind power in America. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that that's the only one. Um, I'm sure a lot of them also probably have some exposure just to uh, like a S&P 500 index. So um, it doesn't show up here, but I wouldn't be surprised, right? Yeah, some they vary in concentration, right? You look exactly. at like, you look at like Nick Sleep, a very famous investor. He owns three stocks. You know, he, he's a thirteen F filer, and it's three stocks. It's Costco, Amazon, and uh, gosh, I'm forgetting. Um, there's a third name there, but 
mega caps, basically. So do we do the gold segment? I think we have time. Yeah. Should we do it? Okay. Yeah, I, I, I just wrote so. here that we might be up against time, but uh Yeah. I think I think we're Do you want to save something for next? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jamal, let's you save know. it for next week. Let's save it for next week. It's gonna be a shorter episode then. The the kid is uh the kids, the kids, the kids washed up today. Uh, okay, let's let's okay. save for next week and and give this another the, opportunity. The whole talk about CBDC just drained. Me. <laughs> I was like, I think that's when you wrote in the document, like, oh, let's just do it next week. Still have to figure <sighs> out the CBDC thing. Wearing a tinfoil hat is heavy, yeah. dude. Um, mm-hmm. That's fair. Think that's about fair. you know the time you're going to save on your notes next week with the with the gold yeah. exposure. No, no, that's fair. But for those wondering, <laughs> so next week what I'll do is the segment I was planning is uh, just talking a little bit of why people want to own gold and then the different ways to get exposure to gold. So um, if you want to hear about that. Stay tuned. Uh, tune in for the next episode. <laughs> You're just chopping next at week. the bit. Yeah. You're chopping next at the week bit to on give the up Canadian Investor Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know what? The, these are the things that you can expect here on the show. Uh, we are here Mondays and Thursdays. If the tickets are not already sold out by the time we're recording this, check the show notes. We are hosting an event on July 7th in Toronto. There might be a few tickets still lying around. I'm not sure. If there is, uh, they won't last long because this is the second time we're talking about it with the actual ticket link. So snack those, snack those, snack? That's not the right word. Snag. Snag, snap. Snag, snag. snap them up. Uh, Whatever the correct word is, go and grab them because uh, they will sell out fast and there will not be extras. So that is the link in the show notes. I feel like Dude. at this point, people are like, oh, I should have tuned off like about three minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I could, I could ramble about some random uh, crap for another 10 minutes if yeah. you want. It's just not okay, going to be about gold. Last thing. It's just not going to be about gold. How about those Leafs? Well, and also that there's no Canadian hockey teams yeah, remaining no in Canadian the Canadian hockey team. Yeah, we should have left with that. The cup will not be coming home. No, no and uh, what do you think... Uh, they're gonna do are they gonna get rid of someone from the core four um yes what any well not Tavares. he has an immovable contract no, no. yeah <laughs> he's, he's not worst. a young lad he he's is got the to worst me, but, deal uh, and yeah. he's an unsellable asset um guys that i think will probably go will be one of nylander marner matthews i'd like nylander to stay I'd like Matthews to stay. I like Mitch. I like regular season Mitch. And Not that's playoff about it. Mitch, yeah. I don't love playoff Mitch Marner. We've seen, you know, I try not to take too many sample sizes of, of any sort of, you know, as an investor, as a, you know, I, I, I'm not quick to judge someone personality wise off one interaction. And I'm not quick to judge a player off one interaction. It hasn't been one. We've seen enough of you play off Mitch Marner, and it mm-hmm. isn't it. Yeah, and I mean, to their defense, I think um, I was listening to an interview from uh, the Montreal Canadian GM not too long ago, and one of the things I think with Montreal and Toronto is it's a very pressure-intensive market, right? And not everyone can really deal with that. And, you know, I don't know how I would deal with that in their situation. Like, people think, oh, 
they make $11 million or whatever it is, they should be able to deal with that. I mean, doesn't matter the amount of money you make. It's just, it's either your temperament or not. And uh, I think one thing Montreal's trying to gauge is when they draft younger players and they trade, they really try to gauge how they will be able to manage the fishbowl that is Montreal. Exactly. And they put a lot more value on that. And uh, I think it's just, Probably Toronto as well. It's just a good example is, you know, if you're playing in the U.S. in some markets, it's great. You're making tons of money. You might be in Florida. You, you know, you play your game. Fans love you. And then you go on the beach. No one knows who you are. You live your normal life. I mean, a lot of people like that kind of stuff. So that's uh, just my two cents on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's a valid two cents. I mean, look at, look at who's, who's winning cups, who's not winning cups. And when's yeah. the last time we had the Canada uh, a, a Canadian team win the cup? Oh four, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even like pressure filled markets in the states. Wait, I was mean, it nineteen ninety three? Yeah, because the Flames uh, yeah, lost. Like two, yeah, the Flames yeah, the like lost in oh four. In the yeah, so I mean, <laughs> you, weren't, you weren't you weren't even born, right? That's <laughs> I was I was close. I was yeah, I was close. very close. Yeah. Yeah, I was born in '95, and uh, the, I've never seen a Canadian team win win the Stanley Cup. One day, yeah. There, I mean, there's obviously something to it. I mean, look at the data. Yeah. I mean, is it a large enough sample size? Back to the sample size thing. Um, you know, if you're a constantly and and you just see the way they address the media, their guards immediately up. Mm-hmm. Oh, Whereas no, exactly. you watch the the you know small town or sorry smaller market teams. The pressers are so different, you know, they're not like, they're not trying to get gotcha moments as much. And that changes the player psychology a lot too, right? Like without a doubt. No, exactly. And uh, last thing on hockey is uh, I think they're soon going to be a new Ottawa Senators owner. I think they, um, they have it down to like three groups and Reynolds put together a bid, right? What's that? Uh, Ryan Reynolds put it together a bit. No, right? it's not going through. They're not no? in the final three. No, no. So the bid with Snoop Dogg is in the final three. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. <laughs> yeah, no. Ryan, so the man rocket Ryan Reynolds, his bid's not going. No, in? their group is not. Uh, yeah, apparently the price is going to be around one billion. And I think one of the issues that some of the bidding groups had is uh, uh, Eugene Melnick's daughters that own the team uh, yeah. want to keep ten percent. Of the team, so the new buyers have to kind of, you know, make it work within that. that, plus, yeah, exactly, accommodate that, and one of the other requirements, I guess that must have been one of his dying wishes, is that they have to agree to never move the team from Ottawa, so mm. that's... um which, you know, maybe some prospective owners, they may not want to move the team now, but always want to have that option. Um, so right. I think those are probably two of the things. And obviously the price tag is probably the last last reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, I didn't know that. I was hoping that we'd uh, we'd get some, some Ryan Reynolds content. Uh, for, for, for Just Snoop Dogg's <laughs> maybe. Uh, you Just know. Snoop Dogg. Yeah, you yeah. know what? I'll I'll roll with the Snoop Dogg content that that works. No pun, well. th- no pun intended. No. <laughs> I'll roll. Hey, nice. I okay. Didn't mean to do yeah. that. Thanks for listening to the Canadian Investor Podcast, the Canadian Hockey Podcast today. Uh, we really appreciate you you guys listening. Buy tickets to the meetup if you haven't already. It's thirty bucks. It comes with beer, seltzers, drinks, food, 
non-alcoholic as well. And uh, we'll do some Q&A. It'll be fun. It'll be a really fun night. If you haven't checked out FinChat, I haven't pumped that lately. FinChat's a 72,000 users. You could be 72,001. Uh, that is at finchat.io. We're on version 1.4 already now. And you can do screening. So you can do like provide a list of US stocks or provide a list of Canadian stocks that are growing this, doing that, have a market cap of between this threshold. You can turn language into a screening output if you're on the plus subscription. And that is, that is really sick. I don't know if you've tried Yeah, I actually, I used it... Uh I was doing a little bit of research yesterday and I always double check because I'm still a bit like, you know, I wonder, yeah, yeah. you know, because I've seen so many instances, not necessarily FinChat, but the regular GPT, yeah. um, Chat GPT. And I was uh, looking at um, um, the, uh, my God, the, the name escapes me, but it's ticker MPC. Um, I'm trying oh. to. NPC? Marathon Petroleum. Oh, so Marathon. Marathon. Yeah, I'm like, my God. I, I don't know why every time I think about them, it's like, I think metro, Metropolitan Petroleum, but it's Marathon. <laughs> so, NPC, and I was like, I asked it a question regarding um, summarizing its CapEx plan for the years, you know, the years to come in terms of what they had for information. And it was surprisingly accurate because then I double check with the IR and no, it's... Uh, pretty impressive yes tool. sir yeah yeah it's because we're feeding it those documents right yeah we're it's not like chat gpt where it's like hey go find this in your language model it's it's like we've we've provided that information and surfaces it and sources it so you can verify that it's factually correct too because that's so important right if you're if you're an investor you can't just go on a limb with like some hallucinated info <laughs> no exactly yeah. that's not gonna fly man and and people are still gonna be look it's it's very nascent this technology in terms of people actually trusting it so we recognize that and hopefully you know as we make it better and, and get more distribution and brand reputation that people do trust it yeah and uh we'll see i've i've been impressed yeah Oh, thank you very much. Well, go ahead and check that out. It's free at finchat.io. If you want screening capabilities and more prompts per day, more than five a day, you can sign up for plus. It's only 20 bucks, so <laughs> it's not going not gonna to break the bank. It's only 20 bucks, so go ahead and check that out. We'll see you in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye. The Canadian Investor Podcast should not be taken as investment or financial advice. Braden and Simone may own securities or assets mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment or financial decisions.